that you don't have to compare yourself to the All-American or the national champion. You just need to keep moving through your development. And I have a mother that was a nurse. So I had this great balance of rigidity and standards and standards is a compliment. If someone gives you high standards, that's a compliment, my father used to always say. This episode is brought to you by West Coast Beach, a year-round beach volleyball club on the west side of Los Angeles in Santa Monica, California. At West Coast Beach, we aim to get 1% better every day, both on and off the court. You can find more info about us at westcoastvbc.com and on Instagram with handle at westcoastvbc. All right, I'm here with the legendary Sue Enquist. Sue, you're incredible. You're an inspiration to me. You're a mentor to me. I've been waiting to do this for a long time. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. <laughs> for sure. All right. Oh my gosh, your bio is amazing. Um, you are a legend at UCLA. You are a softball player. You are a softball coach. You're 11 time national champion. One as a player, 10 as a coach, 10 time legendary coach John Wooden, and beating him with that 11th one as a player. The highest winning percentage by any college softball coach with 800 career wins, 835 percentage. All right, Capistrano Unified uh, District Hall of Fame, UCLA Hall of Fame, International Women's Sports Hall of Fame, and you're a huge part of our um, 2011 Women's Volleyball Championship at UCLA, where I was the volunteer assistant, where I met you. Um, you're the founder of One Softball, onesoftball.com. You're a, a coach's coach. You're a teacher at UCLA in transformative coaching, a surfer, daughter, sister, aunt. Uh, SueEnquist.com is your website. Your Instagram is at uh, S Enquist six Sue Enquist. Hi. Thank, you, thank you so much for being here. Let's jump right into it. What does inspired living mean to you? I think probably one of the most important things is to take inventory every day that the person that you are is good enough on this day. Mm. And if you can start your day, I always say do the toe test, right? When your toes hit that cold floor in the morning, you have to take your inventory because life can really kick you in the stomach. And so in order to live an inspired life, you have to prepare yourself to be able to take in both good and bad. And that allows you to do good work, to be inspired. If you're not doing a good job of evaluating your inventory, when I say inventory, meaning how, how full is your emotional well, start your day that way. So when your, your well is low, I think a lot of people lately have been challenged with that, your well is low. Let's go out and be intentional about how you can become inspired. And then the days your well is full, be intentional about, I need to, I need to share the wealth. And when you have people that are in that exchange constantly, they're vibrant, they're not stale in just moving through life. Like, are you, are you on the hamster wheel right now? Because if you are, gosh, get off, take your inventory, and just get a little bit better every day. And if you're already feeling like, oh yeah, I have it, then hand it out. That's awesome. And you know, like you were one of the pioneers for me to understand the concept of get 1% better every day. Uh, I actually ran with it and I just kind of coined it and just made a thing out of it. <laughs> yeah. And I owe you one of these, by the way, but um, could you just talk about where you, where you got that from and what that means to you? Well, I think um, I... First of all, thank you for that nice introduction. I want to share with the listeners what I'm not. I wasn't picked first. I wasn't the biggest, the strongest, the smartest. 
I read from the special books in elementary school. My high school academic counselor told my parents I would never make it at UCLA. So I'm that person. And I was raised by a military father who really held our whole family accountable around work ethic and just getting a little bit better every day. That you don't have to compare yourself to the All-American or the national champion. You just need to keep moving through your development. And I have a mother that was a nurse. So I had this great balance of rigidity and standards and standards is a compliment. If someone gives you high standards, that's a compliment, my father used to always say. And then my mom is the one that always caught me doing it right every day. So I never felt pressure to be a champion. I only felt this urgency to get 1% better. And that's doable no matter who you are. I don't care if you're a father or a grandfather or a daughter, get 1% better is manageable in the COVID environment or in a normal society that's thriving and healthy. Yeah, it really does feel attainable. It's like you're not asking for two or 10 or 100. You're just asking for one. And I remember in 2011 when I met you and you came and spoke with the team under Coach Mike Seeley, um, you asked the team during that playoff run, to just do that. And it kind of hit me. I was like, I think we can do that, you know? And then even further, I was like, I think I can do that as a person, mm. you know? And, and just, can you talk a little bit about how you do that as a person every day? Just how you just are 1% yeah, I think, better? I think when I was coaching, it was very easy to be intentional about that because as a coach, we always have so much work to do, right? So the hard work I had was to be disciplined and not wanting more than that and to be patient for those little wins to accumulate and provide the conditions for your student athletes to thrive in a high standards environment where you can put a lot of pressure on them, but create the fun that they don't have that fear of failure. And so there's always that balance. So from a coaching perspective, that's how I did it. And then when I became a retired coach and I knew my work was to go across the country and to convince leaders that your student athletes need to have a voice. They need to be a part of this development. They're in a world that you never were in. And so my work in the last, gosh, 14 years has been around creating this transformative environment with coach and student from one that's vertical to one that's horizontal, where mm -hmm. the coach and the student are learning together because the coach is constantly evaluating where the student is. And we don't confuse that with, oh, what'd you do, throw standards out of the window? Now they don't have to show up on time. They don't have to work. No, no, no. That's all there, but they just need to be a part of it. And we need to really recalibrate and ask the question every day as a coach. I would challenge every coach at the end of every practice to ask your team did I create the conditions for this to be the best two hours of your day? Yeah. If yeah. You, I, that, if you, you have the humility to ask your student athletes that, that means you're ready for growth. And that's a great foundation to start getting 1% better. I, I so love that. Um, so this project is about inspired living for the athlete, whether it's the youth athlete, the adult athlete, any kind of athlete uh, in and out of the game. So let's talk about practice. Um, what does an, having an inspired practice mean to you? Well, I think today what's different, if, you, if you've been coaching, if you're over 40, you are in a transformative experience right now because you went from possibly three to four hour practices with one break to two hour practices with five breaks because now 
to have an inspired practice is very, very little coaching, uh, talking, coaching, and lots of doing, and lots of bursts and game speed, and then rest, and bursts and game speed, and then rest. So practices now, more than ever, look like an actual game, whereas back in the day, it didn't look anything like a game. It was just one big, long series of drills with a break in the middle, and then a whole other set of drills, whereas now you have to engage the student-athlete. You have to ask them to demo the drill and, and ask them to explain the drill and then go out and do that drill, not 20 times by 20 times, but possibly five times by five times and then by five times and by five times, right? So you can still get the volume of work, but it's the intensity that you wanna be able to try to duplicate that is game-like. So Monday through Friday, I always wanted Monday through Friday to be harder in terms of their their challenges. So game day, we could celebrate, you know, we always said, you know, game day is just good old softball with their party dress on. Party you dress. Right. So yeah, yeah. this is, I always say to the players, game day is your day, not coach's day. The only thing I'm in charge of is the lineup. And this is your game and you take charge of the game. And when you see a shift in momentum, you take charge of that and have the courage to do that. And when you get a team that takes charge of, their destiny on game day. That's a pretty good, those are pretty good conditions for an inspired uh, team playing and, and preparing. Love that. Uh, so again, this project is about the tools, right? So what tools could you offer to someone, whether it's a player, a coach, who's having an uninspired practice? Um, well, I think, I think first of all, it, it, there's two things that happen. First, the coach has to look in the mirror and say, it's time. I'm going to get off this path I'm on and I am going to open myself up to feedback. That's mm. number one. The, many times the coach will say, I don't know how to make practice creative. I, coach, I'm not that person. I've got an engineering mind. I get that. I, I hear you. Then you have to be willing to utilize your assistants or allow your players to have a voice in the 15 minutes of practice, five minutes here, five minutes there, five minutes there, to be able to say, hey, this is going to be fun. We're going to make a little mini Olympics in the middle of the drills number three and four, or we're going <laughs> to play gamer on the main where we're going to just stop practice and everybody has to look at home plate and we're going to put a challenge on one player or circle of confidence after practice where the team pulls together on their own without the coaches and they identify what they saw in each other to hang on to on game day. So one, the coach has to be open to a learning loop has to be created. A learning loop means the players are a part of giving feedback to the coaches so they can change the conditions. And then three, the players need to take responsibility. So they have to ask for their extra five minutes at the end of practice, not after practice, at the end of practice. And that's another important principle that I want people to understand is if you want them to work on their cohesion, their culture, you have to do it inside of practice. If you do it outside of practice, you're telling everybody it's not that important. But if you put it inside of practice, we know it's important. Absolutely. And you know, I know you're big on mindset. So let's talk about some mindset right now. You actually taught me about strong voice, weak voice. Yes. So I was hoping you could maybe get into that a little bit, talk about where that came from and what that means to you. Well, I think just as a young athlete that I played during a time when it wasn't popular to be a female athlete and you had to develop these skills mentally to be okay with being an outcast. Um, but really just simply, we, we know that the brain has this 
ongoing conversation. You've got a weak voice and you've got a strong voice. And that conversation is going on all the time. When you start to reach a level of mastery, it doesn't matter if you're 12, 20, or 40 years old. You've reached a level of mastery when you can actually start hearing the conversation going on. Like, oh yeah, I, I hear that talk track. That's my mm -hmm. weak voice. Oh, I hear I've got my strong voice going. And I always encourage, especially young girls, right, that are playing club, getting into college, that if you can just give that weak voice a name, like let's give her a name. Like my weak voice's name is Margaret. If we could <laughs> give that weak voice a name, what happens in the brain is the brain now attaches that to another person. So it's no longer you. It's no longer you're not ready. You're not big enough. You're not strong enough. You're not smart enough. It's Margaret, shush up, Margaret. I got work to do. And I, I challenge athletes to try this. And I challenge you, one great thing to do right now is just get out a piece of paper, draw a line down the middle, put strong voice, weak voice columns. And I want you to write out all your talk tracks on your strong voice and all the talk tracks on your weak voice. And you watch how hard it is for you to write out your strong voice. You know why? We don't have enough prompts for our strong voice. And so this is a great exercise to be able to identify, wow, I can write a ton of things on my weak voice, a ton of things on my weak voice, but my strong voice isn't that great. And so there's actually, you know, Aaron, there's a great drill you can do as a team. And I'd love to introduce it right now if you have the time. Sure, in this question, absolutely. Is once you go through the strong voice, weak voice, and they voice is kind of this small, it was called the trust document. And the trust document is super simple. Everybody gets a piece of paper and they write their name on the top. And they write, I trust you because. I've got my paper. It's got Sue on it. I take my paper and I shift it to the left. And by doing that, or the right, doesn't matter, but the papers are going to go in one direction. Now I accept the paper from the person next to me and it says, Aaron, I trust you because, and I write one sentence why I trust you as a friend, as a teammate, one sentence why I trust you. And you shift it, shift it, and you do that through the whole team. It takes about 45 minutes. After that 45 minutes, every single student has a list of strong words, sentences, prompts from their teammates. And we know nothing's more powerful than a belief system coming from your teammates. Wow, that's huge. What a great oh, it's exercise. It's a powerful thing. I've got people that keep that list with them. They go to school. It's in their book bag. They're having a bad day. They pull it out as a reminder. These are their strong voice prompts. Super important. That's huge. Uh, maybe I would encourage parents to do that too. I mean, yeah. <laughs> anyone parents, should do that. <laughs> yeah. parent, parent, that's a whole nother question. Maybe right. we can tackle that. I'll, I would love to tackle that. I would love to help parents right now. I can give them a really quick prompt if you want to cover that right now. Uh, well, actually, before we do that, could you just talk about that Sharpie exercise you mentioned in that? Sure. Yeah, because I love that too. Yep. I mean, at the end of the day, um, we know that when, when we just talked about your strong voice and your weak voice, we're really talking about how a high performer, remember high performance has to do with you reaching your best self. It doesn't mean you're going to win a title. It just means you have ascended to your best self. Love that. that strong voice, weak voice is the th how I think. Now, when we talk about how I speak, we want people to understand that your words 
they stain the brain of other people when you're on a team. And don't ever, ever forget. Think of your words are like ammunition. They can be a, a laser sharp scalpel. It could be a big heady cannonball, but your words fall on people and they stick on people. And so I always like to give out Sharpies because I want people to remember in sports, we have the Sharpie everywhere, right? We're signing autographs or we're getting somebody's autograph and Sharpie is our, you know, our pen of choice. And I always tell people to remember that, ooh, there's my reminder that my words matter. They land on other people and you can stain the brain of others. So catch your teammates uh, doing it right every day, staying their brain. Yeah, uh, that's so cool. It's such a it's a great exercise. Yeah, go ahead and talk about the parents because I know you were talking about fun. That's a big thing for you. Yeah, I think, um, you know, especially today, you know, we have social media. We have to understand that the student today, imagine if you're in college. Imagine what they've lived through. They've lived through 9-11, even though they were very young. They've lived through the Great Recession of 08. They've lived through a time where our government got completely exposed, our churches got completely exposed. And so the lack of trust and anxiety they experience is well-founded, it's justified. And this generation, um, I just have a lot of belief in this generation, even though people say, oh, they lack the confidence. Well, you would lack confidence too if you lived in a time where now you aren't even safe in elementary school. I mean, think about that, how tragic that is. And so I always try to share with families that, you know, you don't, you don't, um, you don't own confidence. Confidence is really a description of, of an experience you had after the fact. So you're, you're, you're in the game and you're setting and you're winning and it's over. That's when you talk about, oh my gosh, I felt so confident. But when you're in it, you're not like, oh, I feel so confident, right? But it's not a game for many kids anymore. It's not a chance for them to PLAY. It got so serious. We started throwing them into tournaments and now they're playing, you know, 30 tournaments a year. And it's just ludicrous what's going on with our, with our players. And so one thing I always ask parents to try to remember that game day and remember game day starts the minute you get in the car together. So when you put your hands on the wheel, 10 and two, as a parent, I want you to remember don't speak until spoken to. That's number one. Number two, when you get to the parking lot, don't speak until spoken to. They may want to just be in with their crazy music or texting friends that are literally sitting next to them. That's okay because it's their day. And then as a parent, when you walk into the gym, I want you to think about, I'm going to the movies. I'm going to the movies. And what do we do when we go in the movies? One, we're sensitive to other people's space. We're quiet. Two, we turn our phone off to focus on the movie. Three, we get on the roller coaster of the movie, but we're not in the movie. So when you're in the movie theater, you're not running up on the stage and shaking the screen like, that's not right. So I want parents to sit down in the bleachers and watch the movie. Get on, the, get on the emotional ride, but you don't need to be yelling at anybody. You don't need to be shout, mom and dad that are the coach from row seven, please, shh, that doesn't work. I'm talking to your kids. I'm talking to your coaches. 
That doesn't work. She doesn't need to know about keep your elbow high when she's in mid-flight. Doesn't work. Right. And so if we could just remember as parents, watch the movie. Be silent. Turn your phone off. Watch the movie. Get into it. But just yourself. You know, like, it's interesting. We interviewed um, about 200 softball players about their parents' support. And a majority of them don't even want any noise. Their coach, I would love it if it was just silent. So from that, we were doing some mental health work. We created Silent Sunday. And Silent Sunday, when you play, there's no cheering. Just the players. Interesting. No coaching from the row seven of the bleachers. Just listen to them laughing and cheering. And this one mom came up, she goes, I can't do that. I have to cheer. I said, this isn't your day. <laughs> it's her day. So maybe it's something people can think about is to just watch the movie and maybe you think about having a silent Sunday. You'll see the impact it has on your girls. I like that a lot. That's really good. Um, that's a good segue to emotion. Let's talk about emotional management because that's kind of a big part of this whole picture, you know, uh, especially with the weak voice, strong voice, you know, there's emotions in there. So talk a little bit about the difference between an, an, um, like how to manage an emotional part of an inspired game, you know, cause well, it's a, it's like a roller coaster, you know? Yeah. I, the first thing you have to do is you have to assess your emotional. And when I talk about the difference between mental and emotional, mental are the, the strategies I'm using to get ready. Maybe it's meditating, maybe it's breathing, maybe it's visualization. The emotion part is how I'm reacting to the ebb and flow, the ups and downs of the game. Okay. And one of the things that we want people to understand is when you reach a point in your young career that who you are as a person, your character skills, your performance character and your moral character, and we can talk about that later, but your character skills, right? They will always be bigger than any one event or any one game. So if I can convince you to go for it on game day and have the courage to know it doesn't matter if I succeed or fail, you will play your best volleyball, but that takes time because people that are emotionally out of control, they're so out of control because they actually think that W is going to define them as a good person, that our parents have put so much pressure on our students, that our students are feeling like, I have to win, I have to get a right. scholarship, or my parents are going to be really disappointed in me. And they actually, in reality, they're not. But no one's communicating that to the child. The child is completely defined by their volleyball. And that's a really losing proposition that creates that emotional roller coaster for them, which is unnecessary. And when you're in that emotional roller coaster, even as a coach, you know, what are some tools to kind of manage it in that moment? Well, you can't manage it in the moment if you don't practice it Monday through Friday. So at UCLA, we went through a series of prompts that um, now I understand that your game is faster and you're not going to have the time that we do. But we would take our, this was our routine. All during the week, we would have a focal point that represented all the hard work that we put in Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. Let's say it's the tip of the flagpole. And that flagpole is there on game day. And that would be my recalibration focal point when I found myself going up and down too much emotionally. So, so a visual, I go, like an actual visual point on the yeah. top of the flag. Yep, exactly. And then what I do is I go through my breathing prompts. Now in volleyball, in between plays, you probably only have time for one good deep breath. But what you do is 
My bad. I own the mistake. My bad. <sighs> One deep breath. I look at the focal point like, oh, heck yes. I've worked my butt off Monday through Friday. No one play is going to set me off and I'm going to get to the next play. So my bad, we, this is what we did. My bad, two outs and point to my teammate to let them know I'm back. Giving the outs shows the team I'm back, I'm back in the game and moving through to next play. So a lot of people in fast sports, I, I was working with a basketball team. They said, you know, what we did is we just literally pointed at a teammate and said, next play. And that was our prompt that I'm back, next play. Let's move on to the next play. Don't that's, sit in your junk. That's awesome. And that point comes from Wooden too, right? Like he was big yeah. on that. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. And staying on emotion for a second, what about when stuff bad happens outside of the game? Um, you know, and then you find yourself at practice or in a game and maybe that stuff is affecting you a little bit. You know, how do you, how do you separate that? How do you not that, how do you not let that stuff you know, it could be family stuff, could be in, in the news stuff, could be stuff away. How do you let that, you know, stay away? And, and so you can focus on what you got to do. Well, there's, there's two kinds of off the field pressure that you can be feeling. One is I'm just overwhelmed. I just have a lot going on. It's not serious. It's just you're overwhelmed. And we always used to have markers that the fence at the field was marker number one. Are you ready to be a teammate and put yourself number two? I am. You walk in there and you're like, ah, I'm here now. I'm, I'm overwhelmed. And then we will always take, tell the kids, go ahead, take a couple minutes. If you're not ready yet, that's why we always wanted our players to be early because we wanted you to have those three to five minutes to just catch your breath. And I always ask my players to tell me what percent you are. So I wanted them to be comfortable saying, coach, you know what? I'm at 70%. I'm just overwhelmed today. I got you. Can you give me hundred percent of that 70? That's the healthy overwhelmed strategy. Love but that. then there are people out there, possibly somebody that's even listening right now, that there's a deep voice inside of them that feels dead, that they're not sleeping well. They maybe don't care about their hygiene. Maybe they're faking it and no one knows that they feel dead inside. And then what happens is you end up living two lives and you try to live these two lives of misery 24 seven, but having a happy face when you see your family, having a happy face when you see your class, having a happy face when you're with your volleyball team. Right. And I just encourage those students that you get the sense that people are gonna say you're weak sauce, that you're feeling anxiety, you're feeling possibly depression. Do you need to see somebody? Erin, I want you to know, I, I coached, while I was at UCLA, we had 15 Olympians. And we had, throughout my career, a lot of student athletes that had to manage mental health, a lot. And they did just that, they managed it. Was it easy? No, but they managed it. And you can still be your best and manage your mental health. And I want you to think about your mental health is like, an, like a, 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 a strained ankle. It's like a, a broken leg. It is a medical condition right. that can be managed and you can still go out there and play your best. So it's so important you understand those two. Is it one feeling really serious where that feeling never goes away? And the yellow flag, Aaron, is when you start to not care. Mm. 
So you don't even have a feeling of caring. You don't even have anger. You don't even have sadness. But if you ever get that feeling where I don't really care about anything, that's when you need to reach out to your best friend and ask your best friend to get help. Reach out to your coach, reach out to your parents. But a lot of times when I talk to 12, 14 year old, they're not reaching out to their parents. It's not, right. it's not the parents are putting too much pressure regarding the scholarship. Yeah. And as coaches, you know, sometimes we're the ones that they go to, or we're the ones yeah. that we see their vulnerability like right away. And, and uh, there's this coin, uh, coin phrase that I learned from you, an engineer of belief. Yes. Uh, as coaches, right? Is that what you're talking about? That we engineer the belief in our athletes? Yes. You, you not only are somebody that has the responsibility to say, this is what your best looks like right here. And you're right here. I'm going to engineer a path in between your best self and where you are. And I'm going to catch you doing it right every day. And I'm going to do it methodically. And I'm going to do it with high standards. And in that, you've got to infuse the fun zone. If you want to convince people to believe in you, you have to have, you have to be the person having the most fun on the field too. So if you can have fun with high standards, that's, oh, wow, that's a great combination. Right. And I saw in, uh, in one of your amazing inspirational videos on um, what drives winning on YouTube, which I'll leave a link to here. Yes. Um, you talked about how most athletes that you see need more fun, need more inspiration right now, more than ever. Right. Yeah. I mean, is, is that something that you see? And then uh, to follow up on that as a coach, when we see someone that's not having fun or not inspired, you know, what are some things that we can do in those moments that can help them? Well, first of all, let me answer the, the, the yeah. last verse, right? Yeah. So as a coach, am I creating the conditions for them to have fun? I'm going to ask everybody out there that's coaching. When was the last time you asked your kids, hey, is practice fun? And then you're like, well, coach, I don't know because I don't know how to make it fun. No, it doesn't matter. They'll tell you. <laughs> right. They'll give you all the answers. So just this is what I say to the coaches. If you're practicing three times a week, once a week, say, hey, it's a new week. What can I add to make it more fun? Oh, coach, we love it when you do the blah, blah, blah. And we want to do the blah, blah, blah. They have so many opinions, it'll blow you away. So you <laughs> can create those conditions for them to be able to have joy and, and enjoyment and not make it about the pure measurement of winning and losing. Yeah. And, and when we see a yellow flag as a coach. You see a yellow flag, uh, I just say stop. When I say stop, and ask that person after practice if you can talk to them and give them permission to be weak. Give them permission to let down. Give them permission to leave practice early. Give them permission to be vulnerable. And that will be the first step to finding out exactly what's going on and asking them, is there anything I can do for you or direct you to anybody or maybe just be able to talk to you so the coach has to open that door and the right. best way to do that is to speak from your own experience that if there's a story you have as a coach regarding yourself or your family member or somebody that you played with or somebody that came in the program before this student athlete if you could first share that story and say it's okay not to be okay mm. that may give them permission to get it out I think that's huge, you know, and uh, it's a huge part of living an inspired life, staying inspired, you know, to understand that there are moments that are just hard. You know, there are things that happen that, that 
we kind of just want to go like this and just hide. And I, I think as coaches, as athletes, as parents, as anyone who's an engineer of belief or engineer of fun or joy or, a, or you know, someone like that who's a, a catalyst of positive change. You know, I, I love this quote right here, uh, this Gandhi quote, be the change. We must be the change we wish to see in the world. Anyone who buys into that also has to realize that the, the dark side is there. And it's like you said, it's we have to acknowledge it, right? Right. Absolutely. And when you have somebody that's living an inspired life, it's not about winning every game. It's not about winning every argument. It's literally having this peace in your heart, knowing that you're intentional, you're paying attention, you're aware that you're just part of this team and you live this life authentically. You're going to have low days, right? But to spark a sense of possibility in others through your positivity is the most powerful gift you can give somebody mm. this enlightenment that I think it is going to be okay. And mm. you can do that in your practice arena. That is powerful stuff. That is, that's very powerful. Let's, uh, let's move to flow. And this is something I've wanted to ask you for years now, <laughs> because I remember this time, I think it was in that meeting about, you know, when you came and, and talked to the team about get 1% better. And I asked you about flow back then. And you said, no, there's no such thing as flow. <laughs> and I just, yeah. I want, I want to just follow up on that. <laughs> I'm not a big, I'm not a big, uh, it's like confidence. It's like fearlessness. I, and I'm just one person that lived a life and then spent 14 years going all over the country to see if it was similar. And it was that this idea that especially perennial champions, right? I was a part of a program where we were perennial champions over and over decades, we stayed relevant. And I want the world to know this idea of flow and it was seamless and we were all that. No, that did not happen. We never won in plan A, won 11 times, 11 championships. That's a lot of winning. Never won in plan A. A is the flow. Now, if you say, well, the flow, meaning I can crush, struggle, move through it, crush that, oh, I'm on that. So it's a semantics thing, but in general, the general public thinks that there's some big secret out there. I'd like to take two tablets of fearlessness so I can become a champion. It's not that way. People that are champions are very hypersensitive to the environment. They pick up lots of cues. There's a level of anxiety almost all the time. They learned to be very comfortable being uncomfortable. And that, if, it, if there's any secret sauce, it's they know how to move through failure very quickly, and they're very comfortable being uncomfortable. And make adjustments on the fly, right? I feel like that's such a huge part of winning and being a champion, is being able to make those adjustments. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely, and, and good talent's possible. That was another maxim at UCLA, that you're gonna tell me that you work your tail off Monday through Friday, you have been playing the game 8, 10, 12 years. You're now 18 years old. So we know you've been playing it for 10, 12 years. And you're now going to tell me that you have anxiety because you're at the next level. Next level. It's the same game. It's just played a little bit faster, a little bit smaller margin for error. Stop making such a big deal of it. I am a big believer that it's in you. You've already put the work in to be able to enjoy game day. Nothing the American, but you certainly earn the right to have peace of mind on 
celebration day, which is game day. Mm, love that. So let's talk about sources. Where do you get inspiration from? Well, right now I am, I'm completely inspired um, by my graduate education that have taught me so much around being an influencer and being a teacher who happens to coach. And, you know, at UCLA, they are spending an awful lot of time around not just service, serving a public institution and the idea that equity and diversity and inclusion matter, but that it's a standard. And, you know, Aaron, when I was coaching and we would do our community service work, I always looked at it like, what a great thing. We're helping those that are kind of embarrassed that I looked at it like a favor because my colleague, Dr. Anna Marie Francois, she's a professor at UCLA. She's like, Sue, why aren't the athletes running with EDI? Why aren't they the ones saying that this matters? Why isn't it part of their flag of excellence? Because when you have this diverse group of athletes coming together, you have the potential to be even more powerful and you are an influencer in the community. Why is that not a standard? And I sat there with my jaw open. I was humbled, embarrassed that why aren't we saying warm-ups and grades and good attitudes and EDI matter? Why isn't EDI, equity, diversity, and inclusion, why isn't that part of the student-athletes lexicon, part of their mm. vocabulary? And so right now, that's where I get a lot of my inspiration right now is I'm adding that in my dashboard, the player dashboard where they've got health and wellness, physical, technical. Put in EDI. What are you doing to make people feel more included? How are you not only opening the doors, but grabbing them and pulling them in? That's the difference. Don't just go, oh, everyone's welcome here in Orange County. What are you <laughs> doing to, to go down to these communities that don't have access and say, come with us. You're not only invited to the party, we need you to dance with us. And that's where I think athletes and coaches, uh, we need to step up and be more active because it should be a standard and not a favor. Love that, that service. Um, what about the athlete right now who their the game just got taken away from them during this quarantine? You know, what, what do you say to them? Well, I would say the game doesn't get taken away um, because it's all about how you frame it in your head. All the game of excellence is done. Game of volleyball is done. Is forced you to be more creative with your relationship with the game. So you don't get to go to the gym. Okay. Rip off the oh, poor me Band-Aid, people. Rip it off. You don't get to go to the gym. Okay. Then you're going to learn to just do a lot of self-volving. I know. Boring. Do it against the house. I know. Boring. But at the end of the day, that's what great champions do. They adjust. Yeah, you can't run down on the track. I know you got to run in place. Boring. Well, I'm going to tell you something. Somebody somewhere doesn't see it as boring. Somebody somewhere that competes against your position, they're seeing this as an opportunity to get better. Right. They're going to use this time indoors to practice being a college student. Why don't you practice being a college student for a week? Cook your own meals. Clean your own room. Do your own laundry. Grow up. I'm only 12. Yeah, practice it. We're in COVID. Pull off the Band-Aid. I have to tell you, I've had 
a lot of people come to me and say, I'm completely overwhelmed. I don't know what to do. I don't have softball anymore. What? Yes, you do. You just got to be more creative and be great. Plan B and be the best one in COVID. Be the best student athlete in COVID. Someone is going to be on the other side ahead of the game. Why not you? That's awesome. So every guest that I've asked to come on, I've uh, come up with a word. Uh, I'm going to ask you to come up with your own word for yourself, but I'm going to tell you the, the word that I came up with for you. And that word is wise. You, you hmm. just, you, you radiate wisdom. Um, does that resonate with you? Well, I, I understand when you've lived, I'm 62, so hopefully I have a little bit of wisdom, right? But if you do feel that, it's just because I paid attention to my stumbles and I paid attention to my successes and I always knew they, they hold hands. Success and failure holds hands. And when you're someone that pays attention to both equally and gains something from both, maybe some people think you do have some wisdom. <laughs> Uh, when you think about what I identify with, I'm a, I'm a surfer. <laughs> That's what I am. <laughs> and and when you're in the curl, you don't feel the flow ever? You oh, don't feel I don't know. <laughs> Aaron, I don't know if I'm in the curl anymore. I'm 62. <laughs> but I want all my friends out there to know any, that anybody that knows anything about surfing, I get to answer my bucket list. Uh, next month, I'm going to be surfing the ranch. Kelly Slater's artificial. Nice. Ranch. And it's That's exclusive, awesome. right? You've got to know somebody to get in. It's yeah, yeah. expensive. And it's a bucket list. So I get to go with my brother and my nephew. I cannot wait. I'm super pumped. That's awesome. I love that. Um, Sue, you know, last question. I want to respect your time. But, you know, I created this uh, Pyramid of Inspired Living based off of John Wooden's Pyramid of Success. And I just wanted to know, um, for, you know, from you, if there's anything that just stands out from the pyramid of success from John Wooden's and like, if there's anything that you would add to it, or if you would, building on that, would you suggest athletes make their own pyramid or own roadmap for their success? Yeah, I think, you know, people have to remember those that don't know uh, Papa's pyramid, the pyramid he built as a response to the fact that he felt that the grading system was unfair, that not mm. everybody has the capability of getting an A no matter how hard they work. And he had put together 15 behaviors, took like 14, 15 years for him to finish it. And I remember first looking at it, it's kind of overwhelming. There's a lot on there. And I said, Papa, um, simplify it for me. What if I said you only get to pick three? He says, easy. I would pick the cornerstones, industriousness and enthusiasm, because they hold up everything else. And if you can work hard every day and stay positive, you and you have talent, you may ascend to the version of your best self, which is mm. competitive greatness. So the apex, the point of the pyramid is competitive greatness, which he defines as being your best when your best is needed. I added in your best is needed all the time. Um, that can give you peace of mind and peace of mind uh, as an athlete, that is the true measure of personal success. So I recommend that people learn about the pyramid and then I challenge them to make their own version of the pyramid. That would make Papa so happy. I remember right before um, I didn't know, but it was literally six weeks before he passed away. He wasn't sick at the time. I said, Papa, what do we do with the pyramid when you're gone? And uh, he says, I would just love for everybody that relates to the pyramid is to tell everybody, just take one little piece of it. You don't, you don't have to learn all of it, but just take, be inspired by one or two things. And 
if you talk about, you know, um, I asked Papa, did you leave anything out? I said, if you could ever go back, would you add anything? And he says, yeah. I would put love in the middle because love and balance are the two most important words in the English dictionary and make sure that everybody understands the importance of love and balance. So I love that. So I try to share that all the time whenever I talk about Coach Wooden. Yeah, man, that's that just gave me the goosebumps right there. Right? Sue Inquist, I can't thank you enough for coming on today. You just dropped some wisdom nuggets left and right and uh, so happy to have you on. I can't, I actually would love to have you back for a part two one day. So. Oh, absolutely. And Aaron, I just want you to know I'm super proud of you. If you ever need anything, I just want to say congrats on all your great work. Stop. Don't ever stop. Uh, doing the work that you're doing off the court because it's equally, if not more important. And I love you to pieces. Thank you so much. Mwah. Love you right back. All right, my friend. Have fun care. at the surf ranch. Yes, absolutely. Get in that, get in that curl. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Take care, buddy. All right, you too. Bye-bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by DAF Global. If you're looking to start a podcast or you have a podcast and you're looking for editing services, hit up my guys, Oliver and Garrett at DAF Global. They're awesome. They help me with this podcast and they take care of all kinds of different services like editing and audio enhancement, and they're great to work with. They're also off offering a 10% discount to all within the game listeners. So hit my guys up at DAF Global on Instagram and also on their website, www.dafglobal.co.uk.